I have a seat? My name's Derwin, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I just wanted to uh, welcome you again. We're so glad you're with us. Um, a couple things. Just wanted to give you a couple of quick updates. We have two, two of our church family in, in the hospital right now, and just want to remind you to keep on praying for uh, Margaret Harth and for Scott Thiessen. Um, last week, uh, just before the weekend, we found that Scott had had a heart attack, and then uh, middle of the week, Scott needed to have open heart surgery, and so he's been in serious shape this week, and so uh, we pray for them, and Margaret has potentially had a, another stroke, and so we're praying for these two parts of our church body. Uh, continue to, to think of those who are in the midst of grief in our community, and uh, want to, again, um, grateful that uh, the Einersons and the Jordans are here today. Can we just pause and uh, just lift those things up before the Lord just for a moment? Lord, you know all the need uh, that uh, we're aware of. We think of these two friends in the hospital, and we think of these others that have lost loved ones, uh, Julie and Naroshi and, and uh, Dilhan, and for, for Hazel and Wayne and for Elsie and Norm. Would you continue to bring them your comfort and your courage, Lord? We just, uh, Lord, we uh, know this is a really dark valley they're walking through, and we pray you might meet them in the midst of this loss, God. And, and uh, again, Margaret and Scott, we pray, would you, we just uh, would ask you to superintend their health care, Lord, and uh, meet them in that place, Lord, we pray. We're thankful, Lord. You hear our prayers. We, we bring these requests and our own to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Got a guest speaker here to speak. I'm going to invite him up in a minute. But before I do that, um, I wanted to give you an opportunity to, to learn. Some of you who are newer wouldn't know that uh, we're in the process of sponsoring a family, a displaced family, uh, who had to flee their home country because of war many years ago and have been living in a refugee circumstance. And uh, it's Esther's family, and Esther is going to come up, and we, we've applied to the Canadian government for refugee status for her family. And so, Esther, come on up here. She's going to give us a bit of an update. Oh, hi. <laughs> so, Esther, uh, first of all, just can you tell us uh, your family's situation, where they came from, where they are now, in kind of a brief overview for those who, who haven't heard this before. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> we, my family and I were together. We left Burundi during the Civil War in 1996. And since then, we lived in different refugee camps because some of them get closed or um, the living conditions are not suitable, so you have to move somewhere else. Um, uh, I came here before them as a student, a refugee student. I was lucky, got a scholarship, and came to Canada to study. Uh, yeah, so my family has been living in refugee camps since 1996. I have uh, three brothers who were born as refugees living there, and they're now like adults as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, as Pastor Darren said, we applied again in the Canadian government. That was early this year. We received a confirmation, I think it was April 17th, uh, if I didn't forget, that the application has been received. Um, the last time I checked online, they say they were processing the application. 
Uh, they say that uh, they had, they started up, uh, processing it on I think July 4th. I don't remember the dates well, but it was like last month when they started processing it. So we're waiting and praying at this moment. Yeah. <laughs> so we're kind of in limbo. We're waiting for uh, the government to respond to the application. Um, and but you say that it sounds like there's signs of movement, like it's it's moving forward. April 17th being a big day, they finally received the application. Yeah. This has been a process that's been very long and requires lots of patience, right? We've, we've been here before as a congregation uh, in our previous sponsorship, and so um, encouraging that. But it's uh, especially uh, patience enduring for those who are family. And so can we pray for Esther this morning and her family and um, pray for this process? Keep on praying that, that in God's good timing, um, they would be able to come. And uh, also uh, that their application will be approved. That's our desire and hope. And, uh, and then there'll be opportunities for us to serve. A, when they come, there'll be opportunities for us to help welcome them to Canada and get them placed. And, and that's going to be a really uh, a cool opportunity for us to show God's love to her family. And uh, also an opportunity to give financially. A sponsorship costs money. And so later this year, we'll be taking an offering towards uh, this. And uh, we've raised some money already, and there's still a ways to go. So we'll be, uh, we'll be looking forward to that. But that's some of how we can respond to this great need. Um, so can we uh, join together and pray? Would you do that? Let's, uh, let's invite God. To, to move, Lord, we, we do. We just say this morning, we're grateful. Lord, Esther and Thierry have become part of our family, and uh, <clears throat> we are excited about the possibility of their family, her family, who have lived for more than 27 years in some version of a refugee camp as a displaced, as displ as a displaced family. Three brothers being born into that status, God. And so we want to lift them up before you, Jesus. These dear ones that um, are becoming like family. We, we, our desire, Lord, is that you would um, provide a favorable response to this refugee application. And we ask you, Lord, that you might open the doors for them to come. You might make the way and every obstacle would be removed, Lord, we pray. God, we call on you, Lord. You're so good and you're so merciful. And we pray, would you not hear? Would you not answer? And in the meantime, Father, we pray your blessing upon them, uh, Lord, that they might, uh, even where they're at, we know, Lord, there's no such thing as a displaced person in your family, wherever we are in the world. You're near, you're with us. Our citizenship is with you. We thank you that our family are Followers of you, they know this, they, they have a deep faith. Would you continue to meet them, encourage them, and provide for their needs, Lord, we pray. Uh, blessing on Esther and Thierry as they continue to lead this journey. And Lord, we pray that you might um, raise up the right individuals to be part of the team that will be serving and getting ready for this group, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Anything else you wanted to say, Esther? No. All right. Thanks. Can we give her a hand? Isn't that good? So good. Um, our guest speaker this morning is Aaron White, and Aaron uh, comes from the downtown east side, Vancouver, where he lives with his 
wife and four kids. Uh, he's been very, very involved in 24-7 Canada uh, as at one time a national director, a communities relation director. Um, he's a, he, he describes himself as a uh, prayer instigator, missioner, justice worker, and uh, lots of opportunity for that right where he lives. Uh, very involved in Jacob's Well Ministry, a, a nonprofit in the downtown east side, a Christian community. Um, and uh, also is teaching at Westminster uh, Theological Seminary. Uh, he's written some books um, from, I believe it's uh, From Brokenness to Community, something like that, some version of that title. And uh, it's really, really good. And we're really thrilled that he's here this morning to speak. And so can we give it up for our dear brother? Thank you, Aaron. Good to have you back. Hello, hello, check. We good? Can you hear me? It is good to be back here again. Uh, thank you for welcoming me back. Uh, you know that your family, when you walk into a building and your phone picks up the Wi-Fi signal right away. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I've been here before. Okay, that's all right. Um, first of all, before anything else, thank you so much for doing the work of sponsorship. Um, I've been involved as well with the International Association for Refugees. I've been in several refugee camps around the world and have been involved in working to sponsor people from around the world to come to Canada. Um, we have a lot of room here and a lot of resources and a lot of opportunity to be blessed. And I've also been around the world to lots of different churches. Um, and churches are uh, some of the most eager and accepting places and people around the world to receive folk. They really are doing that work most of the time under the radar. That's not a story that gets out all that much. And I will tell you that anywhere around the world where churches are receiving and actively welcoming um, people who have been displaced, those churches are thriving. They are doing well. Now, there seems to be not just an obvious demographic bath about that, that if you welcome people who are moving in the millions, you'll do well. Uh, but there's also a kingdom math about that, that there is something absolutely right about that. And so thank you so much for doing that. I know it's hard work. Thank you, Esther, for your uh, perseverance in that. Vous parlez français? No? Okay. Il y a des personnes ici qui parlent français? We can do this whole thing in French if you like. Okay. <laughs> no? Okay, we won't do that. Um, I also love that uh, this morning in the prayer time, there was multiple languages being uh, spoken and prayed out. I, I think that's really great. Um, I will be talking about prayer today because I have been involved in the prayer movement uh, in Vancouver and in Canada and around the world for a long, long time. Um, been trying to instigate prayer uh, and nonstop prayer, round-the-clock prayer, getting people to sign up for 3 a.m. prayer shifts in all kinds of wild and woolly locations around the world for a long, long time. And when people hear that, they think, oh, you must really believe in prayer. Uh, and the reality is, and sort of the scandalous reality, and don't tell anybody, um, I, I don't believe in prayer. Thus ends the lesson. <laughs> I don't. I don't believe in prayer. I believe in God. I don't believe in prayer because prayer is just the means that we are given to communicate with God. I don't believe in the means. I believe in the one to whom we're praying. 
Because I don't believe in just the formula. If I just believed in prayer, then I would just be trying to find the exact right formula that would get God to do the things that I want God to do. And I believe that is more akin to magic than prayer. That's more like magic than faith. I don't think we're just trying to find the right formula of prayer. I don't think we're trying to find the right concept of prayer. It's like if you said, do you believe in marriage? And I said to my wife, well, I believe in the concept of marriage. That wouldn't go very well. (laughs) Right? Now, I believe in the idea of marriage. I believe in the theory of marriage. I believe there's a certain formula to marriage. No, I believe in my marriage to my wife. That is a very different thing. I believe in the reality of that relationship. So I don't believe in prayer, per se. I believe in God, and I believe that God has given us many means to approach Him, and we often call that prayer. But it can take lots of different forms. And and I'll tell you, one of the, the quotes, I love quotes, I collect quotes, and one of the quotes that has arrested me for several years Uh, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. I'm actually writing a new book now really about this one quote. Uh, It's by uh, St. Gregory of Nyssa, and I think we have it if we could put it up there. That's going to be hard to see, isn't it, behind the thing? Yeah. Anyways, it says, Concepts create idols. Only wonder comprehends anything. Men kill for idols. Wonder makes us fall to our knees. Isn't that amazing? Concepts create idols. Only wonder comprehends anything. Men kill for idols. Wonder makes us fall to our knees. So I've been entranced by these words for a long time. But this idea, how does wonder different from these concepts? And this comes from a book called The Life of Moses by St. Gregory of Nyssa. And he was a fourth century writer, um, one called the, the Cappadocians from the area of Turkey. And he is describing uh, in this book this moment where Moses is invited by God, invited by Yahweh, to go up the mountain of God and to enter the cloud of the glory of God, which covers the mountain and to stay there for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, that's a prayer shift. That is a prayer time, to be invited up the mountain. And I want to read this. This is from Exodus 24, 15 to 18. And it says uh, this, Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Just think about that for a second. Think about that description of God. Sometimes when we read Scripture, we go, oh, yeah, 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 okay, he went into the cloud. You know, he met with God. What was the description? Now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain. And Yahweh said to Moses, now come on in. Do you think there was any fear in that moment? Do you think there was a little bit of of nervousness? This is Mount Sinai. This is Exodus 
Let's give a little context. Maybe you've seen the Ten Commandments. Maybe you've seen Prince of Egypt if you're a little younger. You know, there's this, this God has shown up in certain ways to Israel so far. Primarily, fire, smoke, plagues, right? The Israelites are, for good reason, fairly terrified of this God. They don't know much about Yahweh. All they know is what they've seen, and they've seen God operate in great power. And they are afraid. Moses doesn't have that much more interaction with God. He has the burning bush. Well, that's not that much better. <laughs> this is his first interaction with Yahweh, is come and, and take off your sandals because you're on holy ground, and here's a bush that's burning, but it's not burning up. What is going on? And now Yahweh's saying, come up and come up closer. Now, earlier on in the chapter, God invites the 70 elders from Israel to come up the mountain. And it's a very strange passage. He says, we want the 70 elders to come on up. And so they get ready. They spend a whole day preparing. They read out the whole law, and they, they do sacrifices, and they sprinkle people with sacrificial blood and water. It's like they're preparing. They're like, well, we want to make sure everything's in line before we go and meet this God. And they are trembling as they walk up the mountain because all they've seen on this mountain is smoke, fire, thunder. And they're going up. And it says they got up to the top and they, they met with God. It was a glassy sea and they ate with God. And then it says, and, and God didn't raise his hand to them. And it's almost written with surprise. Because that means that God didn't destroy them. And they're like, they came down, they go, guess what? God didn't destroy us like we thought he was gonna. They didn't know Yahweh all that well. They were in some fear. God did not raise his hand. But from that place, Yahweh invites Moses deeper into the cloud of his presence, into his glory. There's a similar story in the New Testament. Jesus takes a couple of his disciples up another mountain, Mount Tabor. You might be familiar with this story. He takes them up, and there it says there's it's called the transfiguration. The glory of the Lord comes and rests on Jesus and says, again, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus is transfigured, and they see the glory of God in Jesus. And, and they're, the disciples are like, what is going on? They're, they're sort of terrified. And Peter immediately goes, okay, well, let's try and put this into a religious concept. I will build some, some shelters According to this festival that we have, I'll build some shelters. And it says, because Peter didn't know what he was saying. He saw the glory of the Lord and he immediately went into a concept. I have to try and figure out how to host this glory that I've just seen. See, to be in the presence of God, and you know, we've been talking about prayer here for a while. Am I right about that? I'm talking about prayer. To be in the presence of God should disturb us. It is a wondrous thing. It is an awesome thing. And it is a fearful thing. There's a quote by Madeline Lengel. We can put it up there if we, if we have it there. She says, those who believe, they believe in God. But without passion in the heart, without anguish in the mind, 
without uncertainty, without doubt, without even despair. Believe only in the idea of God, not in God himself. The actuality, the reality of God should trouble us. I just read yesterday this beautiful quote by Fyodor Dostoevsky, who said that his Hosanna had passed through the vast furnaces of doubt. Is this a church where you're allowed to talk about doubt? Were you allowed to talk about the reality of the pain and the suffering that you're feeling? I hope so. Because if we're not talking about our realities, then I think we're not actually ready for the reality of God. Let's not believe in the concept of God. Let's not believe in the idea of God. Let's believe in God. I love the story of John the Baptist's father, Zechariah. You find it in the first chapter of Luke. He's supposed to go and serve in the temple. He's a priest to serve in the temple. And it says he shows up in the temple and he's doing all the things that you're supposed to do in the temple where you are meant to be worshiping God and praying and interceding. And then the angel of the Lord shows up and Zechariah is surprised. Why? Why is Zechariah surprised that when he goes into the place where you're supposed to meet with God and he's doing all the things that said, I'm talking to God, and then the angel of the Lord shows up and he goes, whoa, what are you doing here? I wasn't expecting you. What if God showed up? That's a scary thing. Because we like to keep God within these sort of categories that we find safe. Annie Dillard talks about it. She says there's two types of churches. There's high church and there's low church. And it's usually defined by the type of hats people wear. And she says uh, in, in the high church, you come in and you say a liturgy. And she says these are the words that we have figured out as humans over thousands of years that feel safe to say to God. That God won't destroy us if we say these words correctly. And she said, but there's another type of church. And they wear the big hats because they're afraid that the roof might fall in on them. And she says, rather than songbooks and Bibles in the pews, there ought to be life preservers. There ought to be life jackets in case the flood happens. Because when we come and meet with God, it is no safe thing. Because what if God shows up? God is not a concept. God is real. I don't believe in the concept or the idea or the theory of prayer. I believe in meeting the very living God. And that is a terrifying thing. If God is not welcoming to me, if God is not gracious. So what is asked of Moses as he goes up into this cloud, into this presence? He is not asked to try to understand God. We should find that very liberating. Moses, I mean, Moses was like the great prophet. He was the great leader. He was the one who met God face to face like a friend, it says, but he was not asked to understand God. He was not asked to try to fit God into any philosophical or theological or doctrinal construct. He is not asked to apply any religious or intellectual concepts to God as if God could be contained by certain human theories. That is not what Moses is asked to do. Moses had religious concepts. He was raised in Pharaoh's house. The Egyptians had all kinds of gods. 
Pharaoh was a god. They had all kinds of religious systems. Moses would have known them. When Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, Yahweh says, let my people go, Pharaoh says, well, I don't know Yahweh, and I know all the gods. Heck, I am a god. They had religious concepts. Moses understood that. But Yahweh didn't fit any of those. Moses was not asked to conceptualize God. We are not asked in church or anywhere else to try and conceptualize God, to try and understand God, to try and wrap God up. Thank God we're not. Because that is folly. And it actually causes harm. Concepts create idols. Moses is not asked to do that. We have concepts of God. And they're dangerous. And we do kill over them. There is this moment in, in both the book and the movie called Malcolm X. I don't know if anyone's read this or seen the movie. It's a very long movie. So you don't have to watch it right after this if you don't want to. But There's this moment where, where Malcolm is in prison and he's at a church service. And there is a white pastor who's explaining the gospel, explaining God to the, the inmates. And... And Malcolm X gets up and he says, why is God always presented as white? Where does it say in the Bible that God is white? That's a concept. And the, the, the pastor, the priest, goes, well, isn't it obvious? And he points to a picture of Jesus on the wall. Isn't it obvious? <laughs> you know, as if that's a Polaroid of Jesus, you know? But, and, you, and we laugh, and it's silly, because it is silly, but how much harm, how much killing has actually happened around the world because we had that concept of a white Jesus, of a white God. That is incredibly damaging. Men kill, men and women, kill for their idols. And that's what an idol is. An idol is an attempt to control the divine by trapping it within a concept, within a shape, within a theory, within a physical thing. And Moses was not just not asked to do this, he was forbidden from doing this. He said, you may not make an image of me because then you're trying to trap me, you're trying to control me, and you may not do that with Yahweh. You're not allowed because Moses and us are not in control of that relationship. We're not in control of God. And sometimes, and I can tell you because I've been around in the prayer movement forever, sometimes our thoughts around prayer and even our actions around prayer seem to be more around trying to control what God is going to do rather than saying, God, what is, you, what is it that you want? See, Moses is not asked to conceptualize God. He is asked to look. He is told to watch to see what God wanted. He is told to wonder, to wonder in the presence of God. And I have wondered about this word wonder for a long time. And in our sort of disnified culture nowadays, this word sort of means whimsy or dreaming or kind of curiosity, but that's not what wonder means in the Bible. That is not what St. Gregory of Nyssa was talking about. Wonder is more about paying careful attention, looking. To wonder at a sunrise is not to ponder idly about the sun. 
It's not to be just curious about the sun. It is to pay attention. It is to be silent. It is to bathe in the glow. It is to be overwhelmed by its beauty. There's another beautiful quote by Alfred North Whitehead. I think we have it. It says, when you understand all about the sun and all about the atmosphere and all about the rotation of the earth, you may still miss the radiance of the sunset. It is possible, friends, to know lots of stuff about God and still totally miss the radiance of God. It is possible to have all of your doctrine lined up. It is possible to have correct theology. It is possible to have memorized Philippians 2, 1 to 11 and to still have missed Jesus at the heart of it. That is still very, very possible. Very possible. See, this is what prayer and worship is. It is to approach God with wonder, to pay total attention to God. But then how do you live like this? What does that look like? We used to run uh, a gap year program in the downtown east side where we had students from all over the world come in and they would live in a slum hotel and we would be kind of, you know, they'd be praying in that slum hotel 24 hours a day and we'd be doing stuff on the street and, and uh, sometimes they met God and it was really inconvenient. Because when, when people meet God, suddenly the, whatever program that you had going gets really messed up. This one guy in particular, I'll never forget, he met the Lord, and he met the Lord powerfully. He was just filled with the Holy Spirit, and he just became ungovernable. <laughs> like, he, he would just, he, was, he actually got pulled over. He was walking along the street, and he was, like, pulled over by the police once because they thought he was in serious trouble. And they said, what are you doing? And he's just like, I'm prophesying to the worms. He literally was. He was preaching the gospel to the worms on the streets. And we're like, oh, yeah, he's, it's a bit crazy. He just met the Lord, and he was awestruck with wonder. He's still, he's okay. He's still good. He's, he's all right. He didn't go to prison. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that can happen when you meet the Lord. It shouldn't be just like, oh, that was neat. Like, when you meet the Lord, you're undone. Moses was undone. Israel was undone. The disciples were undone. Paul was undone. When people meet the Lord, everything is just thrown on its head, and we are so reasonable about our faith. What if we could just become a little more unreasonable? Because again, relationships that we have are not particularly reasonable, right? When you're, when you're in a relationship with someone, you'll give them all kinds of, like you'll do things that you shouldn't do. When you're in love with somebody, you'll do crazy things. Has anyone driven like way too far to go meet someone you were in love with? Yeah, once or twice, anyone spent way too much money on something? And people were like, what are you doing? You know, like, when we're in love, when we meet that which is worth loving, it just, it blows the doors open. What if prayer was more like that? What if prayer was more like that? It's paying attention. Jesus says this. He says, his relationship with the Father, he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. He is paying total attention to the Father. And he was following. And this didn't just affect his devotional time. 
his quiet time with the Lord. This affected everything. This affected the way that he was with other people. And that should actually be a marker for our prayer life. If our prayer life is characterized by wonder, our relationships with others and with the world around us will also be characterized with wonder and attention. I love the story in Luke 8 of the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And she sees Jesus, and she has tried every doctor. And it's, it's bled her both physically and financially, and she has no other hope, and she sees Jesus, and all she can do through the crowd is reach out and touch the hem of his garment. And Jesus feels power going out, and he says this crazy thing. He says, who touched me? Who touched me? And the disciples are like, look, there's like thousands of people touching you right now, Jesus. What are you talking about? He's like, no, somebody touched me faithfully. Somebody approached me differently. They weren't just curious about me. They approached me with faith, with total attention, with wonder. That's how she approached me, and something happened. Power went out of me when she did. And, and he turns around, and, and he sees her, and, she, and he goes, she doesn't actually want to say who it is, that it was her. And, and he looks at her, and I love it. He looks at her. Jesus pays attention total attention to the Father and to the people around him. And he looks at her and he calls her daughter. He is paying attention. God is paying attention to you. Why can we feel okay to walk in wonder into the glory of the Lord? Because God is paying attention to us. Total attention. God is paying total attention to you. And he is asking for that to be reciprocated. And it's actually the easiest thing we can do, is to give our attention back to God. And it will affect the way that we pay attention to others. Simone Weil, one of my favorite writers, she says this, I've got the quote, the capacity to give one's attention to a sufferer is a very rare and difficult thing. It is almost a miracle. It is a miracle. This is what our prayer life, I think, should look like. Yes, we're paying attention to Jesus on the cross, and we're paying attention to the ones whom Jesus calls beloved. Paying attention to one another. Our lives, friends, especially today, are so mediated. I mean, we see things through screens all the time, don't we? I was, a few years ago, I was at the Grand Canyon. Anyone ever been to the Grand Canyon? astonishing. I mean, it beggars belief when you walk in, that you walk into the Grand Canyon with wonder. And I was there, and I was just looking, and I was just, my breath was taken away, and then I, I was, you know, when you see something beautiful, you want to look around and see to everybody else, isn't this beautiful? And everyone else I saw had their iPhones up or their iPads up filming it. Like, like it, I'm like, it's not going away, it's there. Like, it's right in front of you. If you, want a, if you want a video or a picture of it, National Geographic did a way better job than your silly little iPhone. Be here. Be present. Look at this. This is incredible. But we, we do this. We do this with God. We do this with one another. We live these mediated lives. And what people are desperately needing, especially those who are suffering, is our unmediated attention. Being present with them without distraction. That's what God wants in prayer, and that's what God wants for us as we live in community and as we worship him by loving him on the street. That's what we tell mission teams that come to the downtown east side. Most mission teams that come to the downtown east side have this notion that they're going to come and they're going to hand out little bits of Jesus like the little sandwiches that they brought. 
Like, we have little bits of Jesus, and we're going to portion Jesus out to you. And we go, here's the bad news for you that we've discovered. Jesus got here before you did. That's very troubling to a missionary. Jesus showed up first. Now what are you supposed to do? Well, we say, here's what you can do. Go find Jesus and love Jesus. Don't think that you've got the monopoly of Jesus and you're going to go hand out little bits. Go find the presence of Jesus and love him. And that gets you into all kinds of funny situations. We have a friend, and I'll end with this. She's since passed away. She uh, lived in the downtown side for a lot of years and occasionally would get picked up and taken to a psychiatric care facility, and she didn't always know why. She wasn't totally in her right mind all the time, but she was lovely, and she wanted to go for coffee with a friend of ours who's a pastor, and she wanted to go from the downtown side to Gastown. It's kind of the next block over, but the thing about Gastown is that's the tourist central of Vancouver, and so when people from the downtown side walk into Gastown, there are security guards whose job it is to gently or not so gently, escort the downtown side out of Gastown. So my friend uh, understood, well, if I bring a pastor with me, they probably aren't going to escort me out. So she, they were going for coffee in Gastown. And they saw some security guards escorting another person from the downtown side out of Gastown. So our friend Annie saw this going on. She paid attention. And she immediately ran over to that person. And she grabbed the person who was being escorted out. And she said, hey, leave my boyfriend alone. And she gave him a big kiss on the lips and said, he's with us, me and my pastor friend here, and we're going to coffee. And the security guard went, okay, I guess if you're with, not just with Annie, but if you're with this pastor friend, I guess you can go for coffee. And left him alone. And then my pastor friend said to Annie, um, would you like to introduce me to your friend? And Annie said, I don't know this person. Never met them in my life. What I love about that is that she was acting like Jesus. And my pastor friend, because she was friends with Annie, was being dragged along, sort of kicking and screaming, but dragged along into this new relationship of wonder and attention and beauty. And that's what Jesus does. When we actually meet Jesus, not the concept of Jesus, not the idea of Jesus, when we fall to our knees with wonder before Jesus, he doesn't just leave us there in that place on our knees. He says, now get up. I want to introduce you to my friends. I want to take you to this place, and I want you to see them, and I want you to love them. Friends, that's how the world has changed. That's how the church transforms the world. If I could give one missionary training to any church, it would be to meet with Jesus in the prayer closet, to start glowing like Moses, and then to walk out on the streets, hungry to find Jesus again there. That's it. I wouldn't give any gospel laws. I wouldn't do any of that kind of stuff. I wouldn't tell you how to initiate a conversation that's going to trick somebody into accepting the gospel. I would just say, meet Jesus, fall in love, and then go and glow. That's what I'd want you to do, because that is the thing that actually transforms the world. I'll give you one more quote, and I haven't put this one up there. It says, prayer, it's uh, not that one, prayer is not about the magic of saying certain words, 
so that some desired outcome happens. Rather, prayer is about the mystery of love. We pray not because we want something, but because we love someone. I want to encourage you today to go find Jesus and love him. And that will make all the difference. Can I pray with you? Father, you are here, and that is an unreasonable thing. It may not even be what we fully expected when we got up this morning, but you are present with your people. And you love us, and your attention is on us. I pray that you would draw us and draw our loving attention to you so that you might direct our gaze to the others whom you love, and we might find you there as well. I pray for this church, that you would transform their neighborhoods, their families, their homes through that love, through that wonder, and blow apart any concepts that we have of you, God, so we might meet the real you. Amen.